with Lonely by Akon uh, for this podcast as this is now the third week running that I'll be uh, riding solo with the, the boys and disposed again. Let's pray and hope we can get all four of us back on board next week as I think my voice is getting quite boring for everyone so I do apologise for that guys. Um, so a bit of a rundown of what we're going to go through tonight. So we'll touch on some rugby league, touch on some AFL, we'll touch on some Tillies. I'll give you my top eight predictions for both the NRL and AFL. I have my nominations for the Wanker of the Week. Touch on a couple of weird headlines that have come through with sport over the week. And then we'll do some some talk about the racing over the weekend, which is at Randwick and Caulfield. Um, and I've got a couple out wide at Newcastle as well, which we will discuss, but I've got a few concerns with those. But we'll get to them eventually. So I thought the first thing I think is to do a massive shout out to the Matildas. I thought their effort in this uh, Soccer World Cup has been phenomenal from going from being a top 10 team to making it in the top four with the, the chance to finish third on Saturday night when we play Sweden is just a phenomenal effort. And I think Australia they've done Australia proud and um, I think it's a feat that only we can build on from here and, and try and build the, the soccer presence and the, particularly the female soccer presence here in Australia. Um, bit of a review of the game. Again, I'm not a huge soccer buff, so so forgive me if I, I get the, the terminology wrong or anything like that, but I thought the late withdrawal of Alana Kennedy was certainly going to affect our defensive team, as, as we saw last night. Um, I think it was particularly prominent, I guess, when seeing that Lauren Hemp, who uh, was the striker, I think her position was striker for, for the English team, she just ran rampant. She scored that second goal and obviously set up the third goal, which was just amazing. So I think having Alana there, I think she's a, a teammate of, of Lauren Kemp as well, of Lauren Hemp, sorry. So I'm surprised that um, I guess we didn't have a better input defensively against her, but all congratulations go to the English team. It's about time he won something against us. Um how good was Sam Kerr's goal? Like, that was just an absolute rocket. And from where she did it on the park, like, I don't think any goalkeeper, male or female, could have stopped. Like, it just had so much power behind it. I think she'll um, she'll go through the, the match review and certainly look back on it. And there was a couple of missed opportunities for her. I think there was a couple of headers there that she could have got. And there was a, a stray kick from a corner which she could have put in the back of the back of the net of the top or the top right part of the net but she she sprayed it wide so thought she was good a couple of little brain snaps and quiet games from certain individuals but outside of that I think it's a hugely successful tournament for our girls particularly after that lackluster performance against Nigeria and they should be extremely proud with how well they went all right so we'll touch on on the rugby league now so the Panthers did what the Panthers always do and just win games. I thought the Seagulls were very good and they actually really pushed the um, they really pushed the, the Panthers, which is a good thing, particularly considering that they um, 
they were missing Tom Dravojevic and all that. So I think the the game rolls on. I think the Seagulls are really trying to get some sort of, I guess, how do I put it, respect back into their season. Um, the Sharks are actually really starting to hit their straps. Now, I know they only beat a Titans team who is very, very undermanned, but I think they're really good. And going into tonight's game against the Cowboys, it's a it's a real vulnerable game for both teams with, with both teams vying for a top eight spot in a finals berth and, and the risk of obviously dropping out as well. Uh, the Broncos look just awesome. Uh, Reese Walsh just continues to amaze me. Um, forwards are just lining up. I don't, I don't know what Kevin Walters did to turn it all around, but they're looking very, very good. And I'm, I'm glad that they, they've re-signed Payne Haas, although I don't like him as a bloke. I think as a player, he's, he's setting the standards for middle forwards. And as you can see, more teams are now forking out bigger money for those middle forwards, because I think it's evidence now when when you look at, say, the, a team like the Rabbitohs where their middle forwards aren't dominating and they've got injuries, and you can see that players like Latrell Mitchell and, and Cody Walker are really limited in what they can do, and unless they're Wally Lewis who can dominate uh, with a pack going backwards, there's just no chance of them winning. So I think it's an interesting that, obviously, I think the Bronx paid 1.2 mil a year over three years for, for Payne Haas, and then you can see that the Titans have forked out big cash for Tino and David Fafita. But I think if you look at the way that the NRL is going, I think that's that's the direction of it. And I think Jason Tamalolo like, kind of really revolutionised that big middle forward with big barnstorming runs, post-contact metres, and, and a high work rate. Um, I thought the Rabbitohs were very lucky to get away with the win against the Dragons. Now, the Dragons just keep, to keep turning up despite having a very lacklustre roster and, and only one genuine star in their team. But I thought the Rabbitohs were lucky with that offside call and for that try to be awarded despite the bunker looking at it. And again, that just reinforces my Wanker of the Week nomination from last week with the bunker. It just needs to go and we need to just back our referees and give our linesmen and the second referee just more freedom to make calls because that it's becoming beyond a joke. And if it separates a, a, a finals game because of a dud call like that, the, the NRL won't hear the end of it. Um, the West Tigers, they did the, what the West Tigers always do. They they were competitive there, but they, they were obviously taken out by by the Warriors there in the end. Um, it's interesting to see that Tim Sheens has now stepped down as, as head coach and they're giving the, the role to Benji. From all reports, I think when they signed Tim Sheens up, my understanding was that he was going to be there for another year. So they're obviously pulling the pin on that idea very early and maybe Benji's having a bit more pulling power and it's allowing those those playmakers like an uh, Coruscant to, to really step up. Um, the Roosters are really starting to hit form. Like um, Drew Hutchinson, I think he's got a really good combination working with Luke Keary. So I'm intrigued to see what happens with Stan, um, not Stan Walker, with um, Sam Walker moving forward. Um, it's great to see Billy Smith um, getting some good time on the park. I know with his injuries from from memory, I remember hearing they had three season-ending knee injury, or sorry, not knee injuries, just injuries in general that um, I sense hampered or hindered his career over the last three seasons. So it's good to see him get some back-to-back games together, and he's actually scoring some tries and playing some good footy. Um, the Storm finally broke their hoodoo against the Raiders, which is really, really interesting. Uh, the Raiders were just deplorable. And how funny was it seeing uh, Ricky Stewart storm out of out of the press conference without him acknowledging his mate, uh, Jared Kroger, who, who is retiring, obviously. 
And then the Knights obviously dismantled the Bulldogs, who were just in a shambles. It's really funny how Phil Gould keeps coming out and giving feedback and, and appraisals and, and all these other sorts of things of other clubs when the Bulldogs, despite their recruitment and everything like that, like they're just performing shit ass. And I guess Seraldo, I wonder if he's sitting back going, I wish I stayed at the Panthers under that assistance job because I reckon the pressure's going to be feeling, probably not internally from, from a business perspective, but I think internally within him that he's not achieving the results or the desired results uh, in his first year, which will be interesting. Obviously, they pick up a couple of good signings moving forward into next year, but again, I just don't see a huge amount of improvement occurring, at least not in the short term with them. Now, it brings me to this week's round. Obviously, uh, you can see the Cowboys and the Sharks are um, are going head-to-head, which is one of the, the more challenging games of the of the, the round to pick. Um, I've personally gone with the Sharks in it in the match. Um, it was almost a 50-50 call. I know the Cowboys are at home, and they haven't exactly been setting the house on fire, but again, being at home and vying for that spot, there's a lot of pressure on the line, and I thought... Just the Sharks coming off a, a, a really solid win. I think it's a it's a confidence-boosting game uh, for them last weekend. So let's see how we go. Um, I found tomorrow night's game incredibly tough also. Um, the Seagulls obviously coming off that, that decent performance against the Panthers and the Warriors coming off a, a sound win over the West Tigers. I think with the home ground advantage, I'm going to lean towards the Warriors. However, that's subject to change. Um, I'm going with the Roosters over the Eels just because of no Mitch Moses, who who the Eels rely on so much. I know Dylan Brown's back as his RCG, but I just think the Roosters are hitting their straps. And to be honest, when I talk about my top eight predictions after we do this preview, I actually have the Roosters just making it on results. So let's have a look and see. Um, I've got the West Tigers over the Dolphins purely for the fact that the Dolphins have so many outs, including Hammer and Izarko. Uh, Panthers, I've gone over Titans, I've gone Storm over Dragons, I've actually gone the Knights over the Rabbitohs, and the Raiders to redeem themselves over the Bulldogs. Now, an interesting stat that I think someone was talking about, I can't remember, that um, a team, the Raiders have always bounced back from a uh, brutal loss with a win, I can't remember, or something along those lines. Um, and same with a, a team that's be, been beaten by Penrith have bounced back the following week and won. So I'm not sure what to take of those those uh, statistics, but they're, they're my tips for the round. Now, I've done gone through and done a little bit of a top eight predictions. Obviously, this is subject to change as results happen, but at the moment, I've got Panthers as minor premiers. I've got the Broncos in second place. The Warriors consolidating in third. The Storm in fourth. I've got the Knights actually finishing fifth. The Sharks finishing sixth. The Roosters finishing seventh. And the Raiders finishing eighth, just sneaking through. And I've actually got the uh, Rabbitohs finishing in ninth and missing out. I just think this weekend's game against the Knights is a huge bogey game. And as you can see next weekend against the Roosters, it's going to be one of those derby matches. And... There's always a bit of fire, and I feel like the Roosters are doing quite well at the moment, so it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so let's now move on to the AFL. So I think Dano being a huge Pies man and another good mate of mine, Paulie, I think there was a few uh, nervous moments there on, on on the weekend when they saw a lot of their players start to go down. But from all reports, um, they're all niggles, and they were kind of precautionary withdrawals or, or subbings that happened. So I think... Going, there was a nice gritty win there over Geelong, which was really, really good. And I think going into the finals, as 
I know I mentioned that you, you might be a bit worried going to the finals, but I think um, last weekend's game really consolidated that they're a top top four team and, and, and will probably finish minor premiers. Um, it was another good uh, match to see the Brisbane Lions win. A uh, very gritty win again. This one was at home, though, so they kind of had that advantage. Um, Carlton are a proper threat this year. If they keep living up to this and, and competing with your best teams, like your Collingwoods, like your Port Adelaide's, and on the weekend, obviously, the Demons, and they just keep gutsing it out. And this young team are just, just stepping up to the plate. Uh, Freo obviously embarrassed the West Coast Eagles, which is no surprise. Um, the Hawks are actually really going to, I reckon, in these last couple of rounds, they're going to really scare some teams. I know they've got Melbourne this weekend, which is a worrying sign for them. They've got Freo the weekend after. So if you were Melbourne or Freo heading into this finals uh, where percentage is a huge thing and, and home ground advantage is another, I'd be worried playing the Hawks because they're playing some good footy. And I think if you're looking at it from an All-Australian perspective, I feel like James Sicily is just an absolute lock. He is just running the show like an absolute demon down in the back line there for the Hawks, these last, particularly in this last, second portion of the season. And it'd be good to see him get rewarded for it for a really consistent season, despite his team underperforming. Um, annoyingly, Port Adelaide keep winning, which I hate. Um, as a good mate of mine, Craig, is a mad Port Adelaide fan, and he hates the line, so... If I see um, Port Adelaide lose, I, I usually love it. They've got a good um, match this weekend against Frio at, over there in WA, and I'm really going to be cheering for Frio. Now to my top eight predictions there for the AFL. So I've got Collingwood finishing uh, minor premiers. I've got Brisbane finishing second. The Demons in third. Port Adelaide in fourth. Carlton in fifth. Geelong in sixth. The Crows in seventh. And the doggies in eighth. So, with those predictions, feel free to send us a bit of a message about your predictions. Feel free to give me feedback on mine as well. So, let's just see what comes back. But I'm intrigued to get everyone's thoughts on it. Now, let's touch on some of the weird headlines that have happened in sport over this last week. And I think the first one I want to talk about is Payne Haas's brother. Now, I'm the first person to sit back and go, I don't really like Payne Haas as a person. But I found it really interesting that. Um, the media really jumped up and down saying Payne Haas's brother when it's just, it is his relative, I get that, but he's, it's completely unrelated to his career or, or or what he's doing in rugby league. But to get done with $1 million street value of methamphetamine, he must be dealing with some interesting characters. So I think that's a, added another list, another person on the list of Payne Haas's family who have had trouble with the law. So one would suggest that he's had a really troubled upbringing. So Maybe that's the reason why he keeps getting in, into into trouble or having issues, but who knows? Um, the second really interesting headline that came up during the week is Tavita Pangai Jr. stepping away or requesting a release from the Canterbury Bulldogs. Now, as we know, as what we spoke about just earlier, the um, Canterbury are going through what we call uh, in italics a rebuilding phase, as Phil Gould would say. They're, they're recruiting quite well, but whether or not they put it on the park is going to be an interesting thing, but him... He was on $750,000 a year there at the Bulldogs, and he was arguably a bench player. Still don't know how he got picked for Origin, but who knows with that one. But yeah, he's leaving that to become a boxer, where he'll roughly earn, what, one to one fifty k a year, depending on, on what fees he, or boxing uh, match fees he's going to get. So I'm really quite intrigued by that. Now, I've read reports, obviously, that he's quite close with Sonny Bill Williams. Now, we know what Sonny Bill Williams did to the doggies back in the day. So 
to be honest, I know Braith and Asta said, and I think one other person commented on it as well. They wouldn't they wouldn't be surprised that in say in the off season you hear about TPJ boxing, but then also signing with a rival club. So let's wait and see and watch this space. And obviously, he's a bit of an interesting cat. So he, I think he blows his own horn. I think he's the captain of his own fan club. So I don't know. Let's watch out closely with that one. Now, the final headline which really caught my eye was um, the story about Michael Orr and the Tuies over there in America. Now, it was, this story was made famous by a movie called The Blind Side, which had uh, Sandra Bullock in it. So, essentially, the backstory, if you haven't seen it, is an underprivileged um, African-American is essentially adopted into this, this white, uh, well-off, affluent American family. They pay for his high school tuition, tutors, and then they end up getting in, into um, into college. He goes to the same university as both, both um, the two he's went to, there's in mum and dad, and essentially his career blossoms. He graduates with a, um, a scholarship and ends up with one of, I think, the Chargers, but don't quote me on that one, one of the NFL teams, and, and essentially was a feel-good story that got everyone up and about. But during the... Um, during the week, what came out apparently is that Michael Orr is actually suing the Tuies now. And apparently, originally, as as portrayed in the movie, he was adopted by them, and then they were obviously um, gave him a bed to sleep in, helped him with his tuition, etc., etc. But apparently, it was a conservatorship, according to Michael Orr, which is very similar to the the issue that was associated with Britney Spears and her father, where she went a bit um, bit bit wild. And, and she obviously suffered from those mental issues. And, and her father essentially was given control of essentially her entire life, including her finances. So I think this is interesting. So Michael Law's come out and challenged them and, and suing them for parts of the profits that went from the Blindside movie, but a bunch of different things because of this conservatorship that was apparently in place. So in American law, from what I've read, is if he was adopted by them, then he would, once he turned 18, then he would have his own control as he's an adult of his own finances. But apparently with this conservatorship, I think it's a bit different where it needs to be signed off and agreed by both parties to end it, or it needs to be taken to court to, to challenge it. So let's just see what happens with it. I know the, the Tuies have come out and made their own statement, and Michael's obviously had his, so... Um, let's see and see if this makes the news and what comes of it. All right, so that brings me now to my wanker of the week. Now, I was originally going to give it to just Connie because he forgot to put up the podcast or publish the podcast last Thursday night, which resulted in being put out on Saturday morning. Now, I gave two ripper tips on uh, at Geelong, uh, both, uh, both one which was awesome, but none of the listeners got to enjoy it. So I think we can give Con half vote, but then I'd also give another half vote to both Corbs and Dano for also missing tonight and my and their third consecutive week. So hopefully the boys are at home enjoying themselves, watching the sport or whatever they're doing. Um, but hopefully have will fall back. But they're they're my they're my wankers of the week this week. Alright, so now let's go on to the Oracle Hour, which is uh a bit more my jam when I can talk alone anyway. So a bit of a weekend in review in terms of the racing. So we gave out a few good pushes on, on the podcast last week. And I know Charlton Lane was very good. It won from an impossible position. It's a horse you can certainly follow moving forward. I thought Call Die, like I said, was was really good in that race with um, Fear Nought. I think they're in third. Um, 
obviously was beaten by a better horse, and but he was sound. Um, we nailed the first four in the Rosebud with Tiz Invincible, the maiden winning, but the two Gaybot horses and I think another horse we mentioned uh, went went round for third. Uh, I did give a good push for Perfect Thought, um, Voldemort. Can't blame him for that. I think the horse just wasn't good enough. And again, like I said on the podcast, I did have concerns with him first up being 0-3. And, and I think he'll be better suited for um, the run moving uh, moving forward. Um, in Ned's Gully at Eagle Farm, which was, was really good, um, I did also send the boys a, a tip that I received or some mail that I received about a horse called The Player by Chris Muntz in... Um, and I think it was in the two-year-old race, and it absolutely rocketed the line only to be done in a photo. I think it was paying about $27, and uh, about 4 or $5 a pay, so it was a really nice push there. Um, that horse from um, uh, Josh King, who, who's obviously bred by Steve Trudeau, was obviously scratched, so can't really have much to comment on that. Um, at Mooney Valley, I thought it raced quite fairly. Obviously, like I said, the, with the rail going back in the true position, you could see where the, the fast lane was and a lot of horses coming down the middle of the track in the straight. So I think that fast lane still existed, but it, I thought it, sort of, it certainly made for, for more fairer racing, which was a good thing. Um, Bell at Reach, there, one of my girlfriends, I thought she was really, really good in her, her resumption. I think if Jordan Childs had his time again, I don't think he would have taken her so far back. And as you can see, she he, she rounded them up and hit the line really, really nicely. Um, I thought recommendation was very good in that race also. Uh, moving forward, I think on a bigger track like a Sandown or a Flemington or even, even a Caulfield over 1,400 metres, I think she'll be really, really suited. Um, Aspen, Colorado had the race shape against him, which was unfortunate. Um, you can probably forgive that run. And Periel, well... <laughs> Wasn't that a, a statement? The horse obviously absolutely blitzed him in that last race. And the disappointing run was that Helix, who who I did make a push for and I thought would lead that race and didn't end up leading it. So, yeah, I'm surprised at that. So we'll wait and see what comes of it. And I, I couldn't see anything in the stewards report regarding Helix, but Periel, very, very good. Um, in terms of horses to follow moving into this spring, there's only a few horses that I really, really liked. But it'd be interesting to see how they go and what sort of races they end up racing in. I thought Alencia, which was in that extremely lucky race that we spoke about, who ended up staying in with extremely lucky getting scratched, I thought she was very, very good. But you don't need to be um, a, a form expert to, to put her in the black book and see that she's going places. I thought Madame Pomery was really good in the Pericles Perfect Thought race. She came up the, the rails there and, and got done by Pericles in a photo. Her final 600 was four lengths faster than um, than Pericles, which is really interesting. So I think stepping up in trips, she'll be better suited. And I'm, I'm wondering whether she'll clash or not with Pericles or if she's heading towards a, an Epsom or not. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Waller does with her. I thought Molly Nails was really, really good in the last race. That was won by Smashing Eagle, who looks to be absolutely flying. Gaza Blanca was the horse that um, I made for a push in that race. But I thought Molly Nails came down the ram that came down the outside very nicely and copped some very, very final uh, 400 and 200-meter sectionals. They weren't as good as Smashing Eagles, but they were certainly up there and definitely the race's second fastest. Um, I, like I said before, I think Bell at Riche is going to be a great horse moving forward, particularly over 1,400, maybe second or third up. And that the player is a horse I want to watch moving forward because I think he was gelded leading up to this prep after a... Um, a decent maiden win up there on the sunny coast. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see where he goes, particularly if he stays at Eagle Farm and goes a bit up in trip. 
So that brings me to this weekend. So we've got the first Group 1 of the season in the Wink Stakes there at Randwick, and then we've got the Group 2 PB Lawrence down there at Caulfield, which kicks off there. We've got some races at Doom, but there's not a great deal that I can see up there that really, um, I guess, draws me in. So we'll touch on Randwick first, then we'll touch on Caulfield, and then I've got those two at Newcastle, which I can give you, and then I've got one that I'm quite confident in at Tari tomorrow. So Randwick is obviously headquarters there in Sydney. Really, really good racetrack. Always seems to race fairly. So I'm really keen to see how the race... Uh, races pan out there now it's a heavy eight at the moment with a lot of rain down there in sydney um at the time of recording obviously tonight we've got the heavy eight when i last checked now i think they're expecting a morning shower tomorrow and then saturday we're going to have good fine sunny weather so it wouldn't surprise me if we're around the soft six soft seven range come race time or maybe even better but the good thing is the rail's in the true position so i do expect some fair racing uh on saturday now, I think we'll touch on the feature race, and then I want to have a chat about races five, six, seven, and nine, and then we've got a couple of races there at Caulfield, which we can touch on. So I think the, we'll touch on the Wink Stakes. Now, isn't this an absolute ripper field? We've got Zaki there, who was obviously Australia's best uh, racehorse, um, <laughs> best racehorse at one point. He had a bit of a flop in that Doom and Cup, which is unfortunate. We've got Fangirl, who finally meets a field without Animo in it. We've got Think It Over, who's a horse, obviously, that's been very good. Won the Queen Elizabeth on that absolute bog day when he was ridden like an absolute... Um, uh, I'm sorry, ridden so well by Nash down the, the stand side rails. You've got Mwanga, who's obviously is a really dour horse. I, I didn't mind his trial, though, which we'll touch on. You've got Golden Mile, who's a forgive run last start. King Colorado, which is the young kid on the block, and then same with uh, Lindemann. So Zaki, he had a really, really nice trial um, on the 11th of August there over the 900 metres with Jamie Carr on board. He's got a wonderful first up record for four wins, um, three seconds and uh, third from 10 starts. So he's only missed the top four twice, and I think those were all overseas. Um the only thing I have is the question marks on whether he's gone. Now, was he underdone going into that Doombin Cup or was there an issue? I just I just don't know. But um, I'm quite keen to see him at the racetrack. Now, like I said, with Fangirl, she finally meets a ra- a field without Animo, because I think he's got he's got the drum over her definitely over the over the 1,400 and 1,600 metres. So she's trialled really, really nicely leading up to this race. And I think the push from J-Mac um, to jump on her is, is is a really, really good thing. Like I said about Think It Over, he's coming back from a long layoff or an injury. Now, I'm always cautious with horses that are coming back off these big injuries. But he's, he's trialled really soundly. Um, he's obviously got Nash on board, which is good. And he's a tough, tough horse. And he's got a... a excuse me, a decent first up record. Moanga, again, like I said, he's had a really nice trial over the 1,000 metres. He's actually won this race before, beating Very Elegant. Um, my concern is, and I think I mentioned it in previous podcasts, I feel like in he as he's getting older, I think he's becoming a bit more dour, and I think he's better suited to, to um, races over about 2,400 metres, um, and maybe even beyond, who knows. Um, like I said, Golden Mile was a huge forgive run last start with that unfortunate big parade, um, 
coming down and really interfering with Golden Mile. I think the big thing that you got to look at with with that horse is J Max jumped off it to jump back on, uh, to jump on Fangirl. So one would suggest the horse that he's leaning towards. You've then got King Colorado who's coming up, who's coming back off um, a win up here in Brisbane. Uh, got the really lightweight. I'm not a fan of the jockey, though, but um, I think that's just normal being the, one of the lightweight jockeys. And then you've got Lindemann. Now, Lindemann is the interesting runner in this race for me. I watched recently on Twitter, they were interviewing uh, Chris Waller about Lindemann. And weirdly enough, he seemed really bullish about his chances this spring. And often you don't get much from Chris Waller. So he was talking about races like the Cox Plate for him and all those sorts of things. And as we can see with 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 his prep last year... Well, he, he can stretch out over that 2,000 metres, and he's tough as nails. And as you can see, Pericles is, is ranked that form winning last weekend. So he's one of those horses that I would like to keep a close eye on. Now, in terms of a tip, oh, God, it's a tough race to, to give a tip. Um, I think I want to... Purely from it was a gun to him, my head perspective. I'll probably back Zaki because of his first up record in his trial. Jamie Carr's back, um, and then I'd probably put Savers on Fangirl and Lindemann. That would be my my picks of the race. But in terms of a betting perspective, the race doesn't really give me an edge. And with a lot of good horses resuming, coming off some hot trials, it's really really hard to to find any sort of um, gap in between them. Uh, which brings me to the, our next one. So we're going to touch on race five. We're going to touch on race six, race seven, and race nine. Now, race five is a two-year-old, sorry, a three-year-old race. So you can see here at the top of the market, you've got extremely lucky there. Um, Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's a three-year-old race, so I apologize. Um, extremely lucky up there. So the horse has been scratched from last weekend uh in favor of this weekend, which is interesting. Now, what I do find uh, puzzling is J-Mac is not maintaining his uh, his association with the horse. So he was originally booked to ride Zoo Gotcha in this race. So we'll see how it pans out. K-Mac, obviously, or Voldemort, as, we, as he's become famously known on this podcast. I'm not sure if he's actually ridden the horse. I actually has a stand corrected. He did trial the horse on the first of all, so at least he's got a good um a good association with it. Uh, I think he's quite short. Uh, then got Kalino, who's coming off a really good win last start. That's actually delivered. Um, I think another winner or two. Uh, you've got Bornes Notches, who started fourth favourite in that new market race that was won by In Secret which was arguably on the races of the spring with I Wish I Win in the race, uh, Private Eye, Lofty Strike, Marzu, Bella Nipotina, and of course Australia's best horse, or one of Australia's best horses in I Wish I Win. So he has paid $10 in that race, fourth favourite, and he's run seventh, not far off them. And then finally you got Dragonstone, who was very good behind um, behind IME in that, in that uh, missile stakes, as was Argentia. So I found this race really, really hard to dissect just because of all these different form lines. But if you're purely looking at it from a, um, from a gun-to-my-head perspective, I'd be backing Bornes Notches. I think he's trialed really, really nicely behind Mwanga and Think It Over. And he's got a decent first-up record. The distance might be a bit of a concern, but he has gone the Sydney way before, and he's done very nicely. So I think Matty, Matty Smith's got a really good horse on his hands, and I'm, I'm keen to see how he goes now. 
as seeing as he's grown. So that would be my gun to my head tip in that race. Uh, so that brings us to race six now. So I'm just getting it up. So that's the Premier's Cup. Now I said last start that after I tipped Faulkner Park as being my best of the day in the Premier's Cup prelude, I thought his run was amazing. He came from all the way out back, making up huge ground behind Bold Mac and... Um, He's at $3. I think it's a great price to find out. He stays on the low weight. Now, Bold Mac came out and won the, the Rolly Mile today there at Hawkesbury, which is a listed race. So he's franking that form. So that's three on the trot for Bold Mac. So I think the only concern I really have is the barrier. So he's going to be jumping from barrier 16. So where he ends up in the run is most likely going to be all the way out of the back. And he's going to have to round them all up. Now, the horse that's uh, probably going to be rolling forward and King Frankel, uh, along with Wild Chap and Hosier. Now, Hosier is the one I want to touch on the most. So he's been racing. He's a good horse, but he does really lot prefer it in the soft or heavy range. So he's had seven attempts on good tracks for zero wins and only two seconds. But then you go down to his soft and heavy track form, and he's had eight uh, starts on the soft for six wins and a third, and then one start on the heavy for a win. So he's an really, really interesting horse. He drops back off that 61 kilos in the Coffs Harbour Cup to 54 and a half. He draws really nicely, and he gets a senior jockey in Jason Collette on board, who actually rode him in the Winter Challenge over 1,500 metres, which was won by Barbie's Fox there in the middle of July. So, <coughs> excuse me, he's a horse that I'm quite concerned about. You got a couple of stays here that are resuming in Cleveland who had a big boom on him when he came out. Same with King Frankel, who won quite a few races. Uh, Bonnie Ezra's been around and 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 won some decent races, and I know he's ruined a couple of quaddies for me. Uh, Mark Shell is a very tough horse, tough on speed or so. And I know Gear Up is another horse that um, had a really good profile. And he, he actually started quite short in uh, in the Mornington Cup. I think he was seventeen dollars. So. And seven dollars fifty in the in a Selwood as well. So he's got an SP profile. He certainly hasn't lived up to his his expectations here. But he's another one that you could probably keep an eye on. But if you're looking at really, <coughs> excuse me, from a betting perspective, Faulkner Park's a bet every day of the week at three dollars. And I think he can overcome that barrier. So it moves on to race seven, which is a really good the Toy Show Quality, which is a Group Three race uh, for three year olds and upwards. Now. I really like this race. I think it's a really tough race, but I think you're getting a good odds about a lot of the horses in it. Now, we look at Parasal, who's coming off some a great record. I think he's won three. He won three on the trot last prep with a nice close second to Magic Time, who we know that uh, Graham Begg has a big, big opinion of. Actually beat Opal Ridge, Lady Laguna, uh, Dashing Legend, and a couple of other horses who, who've actually gone on to win since. So he's got a really good first up record, two starts for a win and a second. John Van Overmeer, he's, he's riding like an absolute weapon at the moment, and he gets the lightweight there. Uh, loves the distance as well as two from two at the distance. So I can see why he is the, the $3, I think $3.50 favorite there in this race. You then look at uh, Zoo Codger, who's in uh, second favorite. Now, we know that we spoke about how the horse was scratched from the Kalino race. Now, I'm not sure if this is Waller playing mind games or he legitimately thinks Zoo Codger's got a great chance in it. Um, J-Mac obviously keeps his association with the horse, which is a really positive thing. And the horse has uh, won twice first up and has actually got a really good record here at Randwick. 
Now, Queen of the Ball, the, the Mitch Friedman horse, I thought she trialled really nicely on the 11th of August. The trial included Nature Strip, Sunshine in Paris, a good uh, good horse of ours, Espiona, and Militarise, all Group 1 winners. So she um, led up the race led up the race, and, and took it. Nature Strip was trucking along just outside of her, but she was really, really nice, and I thought... Um, I thought it, it actually was quite surprising at how well she went. Now, Rachel King was on during that trial, and she continues her association. Like I said, 53 kilos with Parasail. It's another one there. Cinderella Days is a good horse coming off around the Group 1 surround uh, stakes behind Sunshine in Paris. She actually crossed the line with Revolutionary Miss uh, and was only one and or just shy one and a half lengths behind Zugotcha and In Secret and Ruthless Dame. Now, we know Ruthless Dame went on to win... Uh, I think the Sangster and then In Secret went on to win that new market in blistering fashion and and Sunshine in Paris is also um, in line for some really good races. So she brings really, really good form lines and I certainly would be not le- I wouldn't be leaving her out of my quaddy. Um, gun to my head, tough one. I'd probably be leaning towards either Cinderella Days or Queen of the Ball and try and get the two favourites uh, beaten. But that's just a gun to my head. Um, which brings us to race eight, which we've touched on. Now we go to race nine. So this is one of those hard races, <coughs> the Silver Shadow, which is leading up again to that Golden Rose. So I've got a horse that's a black booker of mine in this race, and I can see that the horse has actually just been with market support in in Estrella. Now, I loved the start uh, last week uh, in 29th of July behind, uh, I don't know how, Sabalis? I don't know, I hope I got that right. Where Dylan Gibbons rode her and she was done in a photo finish. Now, I think she could be a really, really good horse in the making. Um, but the horse that's second favorite in Christilli, J-Max Horse by Annabelle Neesham, has some wonderful form lines. Now, you go back to April in, in the Group 2 Percy Sykes over the 1,200 meters at only the horse's second start. It knocked off Tis Invincible by one and a half lengths or just over one and a half lengths who ended up going out and winning that Rosebud last weekend. So you're looking at that form lines. One would suggest that the horse is pretty damn good. So I think if you're looking at it from those perspectives, some of the horses might surprise you. Platinum Jubilee, we know, has got some elite form lines. But I think from this perspective, I really like 2 and 11 in this race and probably would be the, it'd just be those two that I would leave in my quaddy. All right, so now we head over to Caulfield. So Caulfield has the rail out now. Just a bit of word of warning. I'm not a big punter when it comes to Caulfield. I don't like the track. I don't like how it uh, races, and I find it very difficult to pick winners and speed maps and all those sorts of things. So normally I steer clear of it, but with a couple of good horses going around, I'm, I'm happy to give a preview, but just know full well that I won't be betting on any of these races of, with my own money. Now the rail's out nine meters. Now they're expecting, I think they had some showers today, maybe five mils or so, and they're getting some showers tomorrow, about five to 10. So they've got I think when I looked at it, it was just in the soft range when I last checked, maybe a soft five, good four. Um, I should probably expect that on Saturday with nice weather. So the feature race on the card, like I spoke about, is the the PB Lawrence, which is race nine. Now, having a look at this field, Mr. Brightside, arguably one of Australia's best racehorses. How does he start $2 in this race? You go through and have a look at the field, and really it's not filled with any sort of superstars. (coughs) Uh, excuse me, Tuvalu's a really, really good horse. Now, I know that it's got a great first up record. 
Um, it's handled the Caulfield track before, but you go back and look at his runs, and he's been sound. Like he he did run seventh in an all only one and a half lengths behind Jackano. He then went to the Group Two Blamey and, and was far from disgraced, crossing the lines with with Coulson Mav, um, but was beaten by Uncle Bryn, Gentleman Roy, and a couple of other decent horses. So. I think he's he's certainly a chance, but he's drawn horribly. You've got attrition here, uh, another Mitch Friedman horse. Now, uh, so yeah, so one thing you want to know about this horse is it's being aimed at a Maccabi Diva, and I know Mitch Friedman has a really really good opinion of this horse, and I think from all the reports, the horse has really gone to the next level from his three year old days into his four year old days, and he was the one that ran within point two of a length of Legato in that Group uh, Group One Australian Guineas, and he came fifth, only half a length behind Elliptical in that. Sis Hayes. So I think the horse is quite a good horse and he's got a lot of talent. It's interesting. He was nommed to go up in Randwick, but they've opted to go down here. Um, El Bodegon obviously was a, one of those horses that came here with a huge boom on him. Um, he ran third in a Cox Plate behind Animo, only half a length, and I'm Thunderstruck, beating Homzaki, Alligator Blood, Mr. Brightside, and all that. But whether or not he's, <coughs> he's back to his best or he's really settled into Australia is, is yet to be seen. Um, purely from a potty perspective, I think um, I would be putting in Mr. Brightside, but also just include attrition in there just because uh, these, just the reports coming out on the horse, it's quite scary. Um, so we'll touch on race four, six, uh, eight, and then race, that will be it for Caulfield, and then we'll touch on Newcastle. So I've got a couple of, well, quite a few black bookers in this race. So if you're looking at from a betting perspective, I won't be having a bet. So Wave Rider Boy, I think we spoke about how I really liked his run leading up to his last start in that BM78, where he was end up beaten by a petulant again. It wasn't J-Max best ride, but so be it. So you've got him at $3.40 favorite. I've got Yellow Sam, who's a horse that I've had a bit of a time for. So I black booked him after his second start at Warnable in, on, in August last year. And he's gone on to win two since. Now, albeit he won a maiden um, maiden in January. He then went to a BM64 and then he's just won a BM64 again back in July. But he did put the field away quite easily. Then got Marble Arch, who we've spoken about before. We were on her in that, I guess, that special Future Stars race. I think it was on a Packenham night where she beat Helix, the horse we spoke about at Moyne Valley. Bel Air, um, <coughs> El Salado, who has actually been one of our Friday tips. So the horse brings decent form lines. Um, jump outs I haven't actually seen or looked at. And then All About Eve. Now, again, <laughs> you're probably going to be like, oh, shut up, Brendan, stop bringing up All About Eve. Um, I just, I'm sick of Andrew Noblet taking her to Morfordville. I don't think she likes the track. So I think he needs to just steer clear of that moving forward. Um, she wasn't great. But I think she gets a massive, massive jockey upgrade here. She was really good behind Vivian um, two starts ago here at Caulfield over the 1100. And if you're looking purely at from a speed map perspective, there's actually quite a decent amount of pressure. So you've got Vivian, River Noir, Bound for Home might use that inside gate of Barrier 5 and, and kick up. a uh, kick up. You've got Yellow Sam, Flying a Limb, uh, Skidamarink, and Diamonds in the Sky all rolling forward. So they could actually set a decent pace up here, which may set up for a swooper, who is likely to be um, all about Eve. But again, she's $51. Um, but I, I know that she's got a good race in her. I think she's got ability, and I think... She's going to win a race. It's just a matter of when. So I love that Michael D's on her. I love that she's $51. So there's no harm in having a little half unit on it. 
Uh, going to race six now. So you can see at the top of the market, the, the listed rig or roller, we've got It's Our Time who who won the, uh, the Ori Star for us down the Flemington Strait. She was really, really good in, um, sorry, he was really good in that race. Now, uh, coming to Caulfield is a different kettle of fish. The horse has never won here, but again, like like we uh, did at Flemington, the horse has actually performed well, though. So seven starts at the track for three seconds and, a th- and three thirds. Uh, track and distance, two starts for a second and a third. And, <coughs> excuse me, and distance records only missed the trifecta once. So I think it's rightly $5 favorite. Now, the two interesting horses, I'm, well, there's three interesting horses I want to touch on, but I think the one that I really want to touch on first is this Thunder Beauty, the, the Ma Eustace import. Now, the horse is coming over from, a, she's a she's coming over from, I think she's been racing in predominantly in Ireland and the UK. Now, she's been racing in Group 2 company over there in over the 1,400-meter, 1,600-meter ranges. Um, she had a decent jump out uh, recently with Craig on board, and I'm just intrigued to see how she goes. Now, she's drawn the, the dreaded barrier one, so where she ends up in a map is really quite interesting. Um, from all, looking back at all her races, she's kind of a horse that can kind of sit midfield or just off midfield, and she kind of builds in her revs around the bend. So I'm, I'm, incri- I'm intrigued to see where she ends up with Craig Williams there. Uh, Detonator Jack's interesting. Now, he's at six bucks. Now, I know he's got a big boom on him, but him, he's, I don't consider him a sprinter. So whether or not he's going to be able to keep up with him over the 1,200 metres will be interesting. Um, I think six bucks is is a lay price for me, really. I don't. I think he should be a bit longer. Now, the horse I want to touch on, I think, is an absolute ripping chance in this race is Savannah Cloud. So if you go and have a look at the speed map, there's no real leaders outside of Savannah Cloud. You probably have Bandersnatch sitting handy and Boogie Dancer, and maybe Chassis kicking up from that wide barrier, we'll maybe see. But I feel like Savannah Cloud will lead this race um, quite easily. It's got a great first up record, five starts for a first, a third, um, a third and three seconds. It's actually handled the track here at Caulfield, four starts and a win and two thirds, and it's got a really good distance record. So it's had eight starts at the distance for two wins and five seconds. So when you're looking at it from an each way perspective, I think it's a fantastic play. And it's she's run second. Um, so he's run second to Scalapini uh, at Flemington, beating quite a decent amount of horses like uh, Biometric, Just Folk, Ayrton, Warsfold, and a few others. So I think he's a really, really good chance. Um, and at ten, oh, at six dollar, well, what's he at? We're at nine bucks. I think it's a great one by two each way play. Uh, race eight. So this is another one of those three-year-old races. So as you can see, Cylinder is a dollar sixty-five. Very, very short. I think when you look at him, he kind of reminds me of Animo a little bit. Kind of, kind of was the bridesmaid for a lot of the big two-year-old features, and just need to develop into a bit more of a uh, a big horse and maturity. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him come out and absolutely blitz him in his three-year-old years. Uh, I don't want to bet against uh, Cylinder in this race, but um, I think he's going to be the best horse now. Just taking account, obviously, Little Brosie's got some really good form lines. <laughs> Excuse me. Does have eighth in a slipper. Uh, but again, Cylinder finished second in the slipper, only one length behind Shinzo. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see where what they go with it. If you're looking at it from a quaddy perspective, I think Cylinder's just a standout. So that's the end of the Caulfield card. Unfortunately, I don't have much for the race 10 in terms of the quaddy legs. But um, 
if people want to just send uh, Connor a, a DM and I can send those through to, to people if they really, really want them. Now, it brings me to Newcastle on Saturday. So we've got two black bookers running on New, at, at Newcastle. So we've got one in race two there. Now, this is a horse I've got a really good opinion of. Um, I really think it deserves to break its maiden here. And it's, I would have liked Keegan Latham to stay on it, but... But who knows what his what his link to to the Friedman is? But it's the horse race two number nine narrative. Now <clears throat> I've really liked her starts last prep here at Newcastle. She only finished two lengths off Iona Merck, who's a horse I've got a really really strong opinion of. Then um, was very unlucky in a Newcastle maiden over twelve hundred. Uh, beating a horse by the name of Smartawai, who's actually gone on to win quite a few races since. You've then also um, went to another unlucky race at Canterbury, where it absolutely rocketed the line with Brock Ryan on board. Um, started $12 <coughs> and finished, I think, third, paying probably about $3.20 a place. Now, the horse's trial really nicely there at Kendall Grange over the 800 metres is... But the problem that I said is, is Keegan Latham's opted to go for Mark 10, which is a, a Mitch Friedman horse. Um, I really like the horse. I think it's a really good chance. Uh, Newcastle's a great track for it. And I, as you can see, it's actually performed really well nicely. Um, it's hard with a lot of these unraced horses. Uh, well, not so much unraced horses, but a lot of these like low-grade horses. I think when you're looking at it from a, a betting perspective, you've got Bella Race and Mark 10 both rolling forward with divine guidance. Uh, probably Berenike. Uh, probably sitting up behind and then we've got narrative out the back so i think if they can set up a nice decent pace it might be right for setter up it's certainly not a launch job but it's a horse that i'm pretty keen to watch the other horse that's in my black book is race eight is number eight memoria now you go back and watch this race albeit in slightly weaker grade at canterbury on the 26th of july it was two dollar 20 favorite got backed in like no tomorrow had had the three kilo claiming apprentice on board and he just could not get room to to go so the horse went to the line untested um i thought that horse would have with the right gaps and a bit of luck i thought the horse would have pissed it in so um i think it's a slight step up in grade i'm not too concerned by the fact it gets a slight weight relief um strong barrier 13 but <coughs> does get a senior jockey on in andrew gibbons so that'll be another horse that i'm keen to see now the odds aren't out yet so if you see any dollar nineties or dollar eighties, steer clear. But if you can get a decent price, even over two dollars fifty, two dollars sixty, um, for the place, get on each way. Uh, which brings me to the Friday tip. So I'm going to a race at Tari, race four, Stratum Chief. Uh, the horse has done really well in his in this prep. Won two on the trot here at Tari, and then uh, got nabbed very closely by Hearn Hill. Now, I think the horse will lead this race. It's got a good jockey booking on board, get some weight relief, can handle all conditions, and I think it will be leading this race and winning this race. Now, it is short. I do apologize for that, but that's all I could find for Friday. Now, if you've got some sickos who listen to this tonight before midnight, I've also got one there at Salisbury over there in the UK. Salisbury race for Embesto. All right, so big horse I've got a good opinion of. Um, if you don't, Get on it. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but let's see how efficient Con could be after after last week's. Anyways, everyone, enjoy the sport over the weekend, um, and we'll talk next week. Have a good one.